If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. Brian McClanahan Show, episode 664. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, click on that little heart, that super thanks button. Throw a few pennies my way. Keep the podcast free of charge. You can also go to brianmcclanahan.com, B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Click on the support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way that way. You can go to anchor.fm. You can become a subscriber there and throw a few pennies my way that way. Of course, you can also go to mcclanahanacademy.com. It's a great way to support the show. You can buy classes there. And every time you buy a class, you support the show. And of course, you get great content, right? So it's a win-win for you. Also at brianmcclanahan.com, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook. You get on my email list. You get great coupons from McClanahan Academy. You get my emails when I send them out. So don't unsubscribe from that. You want to be on that email list. You can also click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally and share it around on social media. Tell people you love the show. Send me those show requests. I like to hear what you want to hear. Wrapping up the week this week with a piece that was in the New York Times. I subscribe to the Times. You don't have to. And look at all the garbage they put out. Same thing with the Washington Post. But the Times here had a, an interesting piece because I think this is where the left is actually going ballistic right now. I mean, I, I look, la, Friday of the Dobbs decision and the Thursday before that with the decision with the New York uh, State Rifle and Pistol... And then, of course, you also had, even after that, the next week, you had a couple of interesting decisions. One that really hurt the EPA. And uh, the left is just going ballistic right now. They don't really they don't know what to do. And they don't know what to do because the one thing they thought they had to buckle the entire system was the federal courts. You see, for the last 60 years or so, 70 years close, the, the left has controlled the federal courts. During the 1930s, the conservatives controlled the courts, and when they tried to block the New Deal and Roosevelt put pressure on the courts, and I'm going to pack the court, they buckled. And from that point forward, you had, uh, you had a whole lot of lefties on the courts, and these lefties have done a tremendous damage to the American political system, namely federalism. And all you're seeing now is the conservatives, quote-unquote, start looking at federalism as the way forward instead of nationalism. And this is all that the Dobbs decision did. People that woke up in California the day after the Dobbs decision did not lose anything. People that woke up in some states in the South, yes, uh, the, the Dobbs decision changed the way that abortions were handled in some Southern states. But even there, you have, you have uh, courts, state courts trying to uh, push back against some of that. But regardless... In nearly half the states of the United States, nothing changed. And this is the way you would have it if you had real federalism. Right? You would have all of these social decisions put in the hands of the states, and by the way, the legislatures and the people of those states. It would be the most democratic thing to do, rather than saying, 
Well, here we have nine justices, and five of them get to decide for the rest of the United States on all these social all these social questions. That's not the way it works. We need to have people involved at the state and local level doing these things because that reflects the communities and the people in those communities. So Clarence Thomas's concurring opinion in the Dobbs decision where he said, look, I don't think the Dobbs decision goes far enough because it doesn't really cut out this whole nonsense of substantive due process of the 14th Amendment. It doesn't take that away. We need to look at that for all these other decisions. That's all he's saying. And the left, of course, went ballistic. So what's happened in the last couple of weeks is the left no longer thinks they control the federal courts, which has been the only way they've been able to get their agenda through in the last 50 to 60 years. Because at the state level, the states have blocked most of this stuff. I mean, look at California. In California, there was a constitutional amendment that knocked down affirmative action. Now the court's going to take that up the next time. And I'm going to talk about next week, I'm going to get into this, uh, this independent legislature theory or whatever the, the left is calling it because they're worried about voting rights now. And I, I addressed this back in March. I'm going to do it again. Uh, Jamel Bowie was talking about that back in March. But now you've got all kinds of groups because the court's going to take up a decision. Oh my gosh, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to make it where nobody can vote in America. So the left is going ballistic. They're going nuts. And of course, now we're seeing more people talk about civil war, right? Because the left is upset. The left is going ballistic. The left is bananas. We got to, we got to, well, you poor little leftists. You're losing. And so because when the leftist starts losing, who really gets violent? The left. Early on in this podcast, I talked about, about the most violent and dangerous political group in the history of the West, and it's the left. It always has been. Every single major revolution... And when I talk about a major revolution, I'm not talking about the American War for Independence because that wasn't a revolution until you got to the 19th century. And as we talked about yesterday, revolutionizing the language of the, of the War for Independence. But it wasn't a revolution. But when you look at every major revolution in the history of the West, it's all been perpetrated by the left. They're the most violent and dangerous group out there. When they don't get their way, what do they do? They resort to violence. They throw temper tantrums. They're just a bunch of little petulant children. And so when they don't when they don't win, well they let you have it. And of course, well, 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 please stop, please stop yelling and throwing a fit. Please stop doing all this. Please stop. Instead of just saying no, shut up, sit down, go to timeout. All the lefties need to put in timeout right now because they're all just throwing a bunch of fits and they're all just a bunch of little babies. And they need to be told no, shut up, and stop. Right? I mean, this is it. So. The adults need to tell the lefties to go behave. Of course, the lefties are not going to behave, so this is where you know you get into potential conflict here. And of course, the lefties do get violent, and they get very dangerous. The French Revolution is a nice example of that, and that kick-started everything in the West. I mean, you wouldn't have the Soviet Revolution without the French Revolution. And of course, it kick-started other, other revolutions throughout the world. I mean, the Chinese Revolution, Vietnam, Cambodia, even Mexico... You have socialist revolutions in South America. You wouldn't have had these things without the left. And the left has destroyed more lives than any other political ideology in the history of the world. They're dangerous. So now the New York Times, oh, well, we're worried about this. We're worried about civil war. Why? They lost I mean, a court decision. That really didn't do anything for half the states. And if you look at population-wise, for 
probably the majority of people in the United States didn't do anything, right? But we got we're worried about this civil war thing now. We're worried about it because the because the left was told they can't get what they want. So now they're going to uh, be vulgar and go on social media and cause riots and and protests and everything else. Call for insurrection. I mean, you look at it. Lefties are out there calling for insurrection. They're calling for it. So I want to go to this New York Times piece because the title is Spurred by the Supreme Court, A Nation Divides Along a Red-Blue Axis. On abortion, climate change, guns, and much more, two Americas, one liberal, one conservative, are moving in opposite directions. Well, this is true. And in fact, this isn't a bad thing because if we have balkanization, you're going to get a much more peaceful United States. Why? Because the people in California can be Californians and the people in Alabama can be Alabamians. That's the way it can work. And the people in Massachusetts can be you know, whatever people in Massachusetts want to do. And North Dakotans can be North Dakotans. And Michiganers can be Michiganers and all this. I mean, this is the way it's supposed to work. And people can move. And this piece actually talks about that. Pressed by Supreme Court decisions, the menacing rights that liberals hold dear and expanding those cherished by conservatives, the United States appears to be drifting apart into separate nations with diametrically opposed social, environmental, and health policies. Call these the disunited states. Beautiful. It's really not. It would just be federalism. It's not the disunited states. It's the, uh, the non-national United State. This is what the whole thing is supposed to be from the beginning. Look at all those things they just mentioned. You know what all that stuff is? That's all state concerns. This is exactly how, exactly how Tench Cox sold the situation, sold the Constitution to people in Pennsylvania during the ratification process. Look at all the things the federal government can do. It's not many. Look at all the things the state governments can do. It's a lot. That's how James Wilson sold it. What they just listed there are all these things that the state should be doing. Now, the environment's an interesting situation because, of course, you have rivers that go through many states, air quality and all these things. Now, how that would work uh, between states is another issue. But certainly, uh, when you look at EPA, now, if you're not going to regulate it under some type of notion of commerce, there really isn't any federal control of this issue. Now, you can have the Congress or the courts be referees in this. And we all know we want clean water and clean air and all that kind of stuff. Look, I, 100%. I believe in all those things. But what kind of role does the federal government have in this at all? Now, if you're saying they can regulate waterways, well, then maybe they can regulate pollution in the waters. Or if they regulate airspace, maybe they can regulate air, air pollution, these kind of things. But regardless, um, this is more or less a state issue. The most immediate breaking point is on abortion, as about half this country will soon limit or ban the procedure, while the other half expands or reinforces access to reproductive rights. Notice how they phrase it here, reproductive rights. It's kind of funny. But the ideological fault lines extend far beyond that one topic, to climate change, gun control, and LGBTQ, and voting rights. I mean, again, all these things under the original Constitution are state powers, not federal responsibility. You see, what's happened is the court invalidated state control of these things because the left did it. And now that the conservatives are saying that was all wrong to begin with, we're just going back to what it was should have been. 
well, then the states have control of this stuff, and all these people in the center, they just want nationalized everything. They're not getting their way. we gotta, we got to have one nation indivisible and all this other kind of stuff. This is where nationalism really is the danger. I talked about it on Tuesday. And here we are here on Thursday. Same kind of thing. On each of these issues, the country's northeast and west coast are moving in the opposite direction from its midsection and southeast, with a few exceptions like the island of liberalism in Illinois and Colorado and New Hampshire streak of conservatism. Even when public opinion is more mixed, like in Ohio, Wisconsin, Georgia, North Carolina, and Texas, Republican grip on state legislatures has ensured that policies uh, in those states conform with those of the reddest states in the Union rather than strike a middle ground. So even in places like North Carolina and, and Georgia and Texas, these are, these, are, these are purple states, Wisconsin, Ohio, purple states. But it's all the dirty tricks by the Republicans that are ensuring that they stay red and all the people in those states aren't really represented. Historians have struggled to find a parallel moment, raising the 19th century fracturing over slavery, the clashes between the executive branch and the Supreme Court in the New Deal era of the 1930s, and fierce battles over civil rights during Reconstruction in the 1950s and early 1960s, and the rise of armed violent groups like the Weather Underground in the late 60s. Now, this is you want to see the most divided period in American history besides right now. I think really are. We are the most fractured we've ever been in America right now, and it's because of nationalism. And it's because you've got about half the population in America that has completely gone insane, and they want the other half to simply bend to their will. And what's happening is the federal courts are saying, now these really aren't national issues. These are state issues. And so the states can do what they want. And if you don't like that, move to a different state. That's the way it should work. What the courts have just done is just said, you know, we, my bad. Uh, the Brennan court, the Warren court, all, it, it, you know, we, we, made some, we made some pretty bad decisions. Uh, those courts were just completely uh, off the rails and they did some stupid things that weren't based on the Constitution. So you know what? We're going back to the way it was because that's the way it really should be in a federal system. The Supreme Court's not a policy arm. It's there to say, uh, okay, as a backstop, if you want to say it determines things are constitutional or not, but as a backstop, well, yeah, I mean, this is really a state issue. This is a federal issue. Uh, you can't really sue in federal court for these things. This is really, your states decide this stuff. The 14th Amendment was never designed to do this or this or this. So let's roll these things back. And I would say the most divided period really is the Reconstruction period. You go back and look at those maps from the 1870s and 80s. Uh, you see it very clearly. Two Americas. And that's what we have now. But it's not north-south. There is still that north-south split, but it bleeds into the west. There's more states, of course. But it bleeds into the west, and then you have the west coast. For some people, the divides have grown so deep and so personal that they have felt compelled to pick up and move from one America to the other. Hallelujah! It's exactly what you're supposed to do. If you don't like it, move somewhere else. Many conservatives have taken to social media to express thanks over leaving high-tax, highly regulated blue states for red states with smaller government and now laws protecting, prohibiting I'm sorry, abortion. Others have transitioned the American rift in the opposite direction. I did everything I could to put my mouth where my money was, to bridge the divide with my own actions, said Howard Garrett, a black, gay, 29-year-old man in Franklin, Tennessee, who ran for alderman in recent years, organized the town's first Juneteenth celebration, and worked on LGBTQ outreach to local schools, only to be greeted with harassment and death threats. 
I, I don't know about death threats, but I will tell you this. See, the, the, the thing about this piece, it makes it sound like these right-wingers are all just violent, nasty people. I know a man who, this is before social media and the internet became as big as it is now, um, and there was no social media, who was a pretty prominent uh, act, conservative activist in a red state who was pushing against this left lurch, you know, LGBTQ stuff and abortion and everything else. And um, the, the lefties would found his phone number and they would call his house and they would leave death threats, literal death threats, on his, on his answering machine. And uh, this was going on. The left would go ballistic. This is the left is occupying you know, space in front of Supreme Court justices' homes. The left are a bunch of loons. This is the people you really have to worry about. So this guy, well, we have this one example of somebody. Now, I will, I will give this guy credit, Howard Garrett. He's like, well, man, I'm going to go out and work in my local area. I'm going to try to change this. But you know what? In Tennessee, they didn't want it. So leave. And he did. Garrett moved to Washington, D.C. He couldn't win as alderman because he didn't fit the political culture. He wasn't going to get his way on his left and stuff. People in Franklin, Tennessee didn't want that. So he moved. He moved to Washington, D.C., which more reflects what he wants. People were just sick in their heart, he said. That was something you can't change. And abortion history seems to be riffing on itself. Both supporters and opponents of abortion rights see a parallel to the abolition of slavery. As states like Illinois and Colorado about to become safe harbors for women in surrounding states seeking to end their pregnancies, abortion right advocates see an echo of the past by anti-slavery states in the North. But abortion opponents see themselves as emancipating the unborn and often compare the Rose decision treatment of the fetus to the Dred Scott ruling in 1857 that denied black people the rights of American citizenship. Conservatives are not resting on their victories. The anti-abortion movement long predicted predicated on returning the issue of reproductive rights to elected representatives in the states, talks now about putting a national abortion ban before Congress. Roger Severino, a leading social conservative and senior official in the Trump administration, invoked the struggle of black Americans for equality, saying the 10 years that passed between the Supreme Court's Brown v. Board of Education decision regarding separate but equal segregation and Congress's passage of the Civil Rights Act in 1964 mirrored the struggle ahead. I cannot see us living in two Americas where we have two classes of human beings in this country, some predicated fully in law, some who are not protected at all, said Mr. Severino, now the vice president for domestic policy at the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank. Well, I can almost guarantee you without looking Mr. Severino up, he's a Straussian. Okay, because this is not what you should be doing. There shouldn't be a national anything on this because you know what it would be? Unconstitutional. It would be unconstitutional. So uh, to have a law put there would be the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Let the states sort this out, and eventually you'll come to a situation where you, you have peace. People will move, they'll go to different places, and they'll sort themselves out. It's a sorting, as this piece actually talks about at the end. Having a one-size-fits-all policy is bad policy for both sides. On climate change, the court's decision to limit federal regulatory powers has underscored the impasse in Congress over legislation expressly limiting emissions of climate-warming pollutants like carbon dioxide and methane. Again, we're not necessarily certain all that is the case, but regardless. But again, the states are stepping up unto the breach. States from Virginia to Maine have banded together to limit carbon emissions under the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. In the West, California, Oregon, and Washington are pursuing a Pacific Coast collaborative to coordinate clean fuel standards and move towards zero-emission cars. I'm strongly supportive of the EPA having the power to regulate greenhouse gas emissions and other pollutants from fossil fuels, said K. 
Katie Dykes, Commissioner of the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, and the Chairwoman of the East Coast Initiative's Board of Directors. But RGGI has been in place since 2009 and has provided clear, predictable signals to the power sector and to the states and the alliance. It becomes only more relevant if we see federal authority curtailed. So what she's admitting is, hey, the states can already do this. Now, can you have interstate compacts? I mean, this is another issue in the Constitution. Can you do those kind of things? I mean, we, we generally agree that states can do this now, whether if you look at Article 1, Section 10, whether that's the case or not. I mean, we'd have to you know, look at that in more detail. But you have these interstate compacts of saying, well, we're going to try to do this anyways. We don't need the federal government for this. You see, the real issue is, and the real eye-opening part of this for most people is that you don't need the federal government. It's irrelevant. Do it at your state level. Work in your state level. The federal government has no clothes. The emperor has no clothes in any of this. That's the real lesson to be learned from all of this. Fossil fuel states are moving in the opposite direction, pressing for more exploration and more production of coal, oil, and natural gas, and for fewer emissions regulations, putting local jobs and overall economic priorities ahead of the impact of climate change. So, again... You live in a state that reflects what you want. You want a lot of booming oil jobs? Well, I mean, you're going to be in a red state. It's just the way it works. On guns, the District of Columbia and 11 states, including Delaware and Rhode Island just this week, have banned some weapons and accessories like high-capacity magazines in response to mass shootings across the country. Republican states, in contrast, have passed and continue to pass laws that allow for the carrying of concealed and unconcealed firearms with no permits necessary. The Republican governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, signed legislation last year trying to nullify a decades-old federal ban on silencers. And a new law in New Hampshire is meant to stop state law enforcement agencies from cooperating with federal agencies to enforce federal firearms laws that do not match New Hampshire's. That's actually the way forward. I mean, New Hampshire is doing the right thing here. That's non-commandeering. If you're a local law enforcement official, you just don't enforce federal policies. It's against the law. You can't do it. Non-commandeering. It's the biggest problem we're facing now, said Sean Holohan, the state legislative director at the Guilford's Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence. If most of the Northeast, parts of the Midwest, and all the West Coast want to pass good gun safety legislation, that doesn't mean someone in Chicago can't go to basically any state that borders his and buy a gun. Oh no. See, we want one-size-fits-all policy because somebody hypothetically could go do something here and go there and do something that we don't like. As conservative states move to bar gender transition therapies for people under 18, California's legislature is considering a bill that would void any subpoena seeking information about people traveling the state for such care. But Alabama's attorney general, invoking the Supreme Court's reasoning against abortion decision, said this week that federal courts must allow the state's ban on gender transition care to take effect. And one state's banned books are another teen's summer reading list. Jake Grumbach, a University of Wisconsin, a Washington political scientist who began studying the fragmentation of the nation more than a decade ago, said America is living through a hyperdrive of state-based dissolution. But he cautioned against looking regionally, instead locating the fault line between cities and their suburbs on one side and rural areas on the other. A voter in Milwaukee and one in rural Wisconsin, he said, are as different ideologically as one in Oklahoma and one in New York City. Now, this is the case, right? So I... Some, and in some cases, I believe the states are too big, right? The states need to be decentralized even more. When you look at the founding generation, what they said about good representative government, one to every 40,000 would work if that government only had general concerns. But when you started talking about all kinds of local concerns, that needed to be even smaller 
So maybe the states are too big. Maybe we need to decentralize the states. Maybe, for example, Atlanta needs to almost be its own state. Maybe Milwaukee needs to be its own state. Maybe New York City should be its own state. And then all the rest of it around it can do something else. Maybe that would work. However, gerrymandering and restrictions on voting access in Republican states have given conservatives a greater institutional advantage than the edge Democrats have in more liberal states, Mr. Grumbach said. He pointed to a gerrymandered legislative map in New York that was blocked and, and to similar maps that have gone forward in Louisiana, Ohio, and Florida. The tensions of the moment might be most acute in the poorest borderlands of red and blue America. The St. Louis Board of Aldermen responding to Missouri's abortion ban is considering under using $1 million in COVID relief funds to instead aid women seeking abortions across the border in Illinois. Now, that would be a really interesting uh, legal situation there because that's not really dealing with COVID relief, right? So uh, how does that work? Uh, you could see a lawsuit certainly developing over that. And Capra, the chief of staff to the Democratic governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, said abortion providers in the state used to serve a few hundred out-of-state women per week. Since the overturning of Roe a week ago, she said it's been several thousand. The governor's committed to Illinois being an oasis, she said. He isn't, he isn't shifting on that, but there's no question that's a burden. Gun rights laws like the protections for silencers in Texas are edging back toward the idea of nullification, that states should be able to ignore federal law, an idea that grew directly out of slavery, said Bethany Lucina, a University of Rochester political scientist who studies federalism in different countries. Well, it doesn't go right back to... In fact, nullification was never used in favor of slavery. Ever. Not one time it was used against it. When you look at uh, what northern states were doing with their personal liberty laws, but it was never used in favor of slavery. Now, if you're saying it grew directly out of slavery, but of course it didn't, because you go back to the Stamp Act and there was nullification there. You go back to 1798, there's nullification there. So I mean, this is stupid. Uh, Bethany Lacina doesn't really know what she's talking about. But you can imagine a day where there's a federal ban on abortion. The governor of California says, ah, we're just not going to do that. It's all very double-edged weapons. Double-edged weapon, not a double-edged sword. Double-edged weapon. So Bethany Lacina is not very bright. Conservatives might see the coming years as the, as the moment to pivot toward amassing more national power. If they can seize Congress in November and the White House in 2024. Anti-abortion activists have always had two arguments in favor of ending Roe v. Wade. A legal case that the Constitution does not include a right to end a pregnancy and a moral case that abortion is murder. Mr. Severino, again invoking segregation, said that until the legislative and executive branches of government stepped in with the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Act of the 1960s, recalcitrant states failed to integrate their schools after the Supreme Court ordered them into in 1954. There are deep parallels here, he said. Then it was, what is the value of a human person measured between black and white Americans? Here is the value of a person within the womb and outside of it. As the political divide between the states becomes more pronounced, what political scientists call sorting may accelerate. The conservative Illinois billionaire, billionaire Kevin, Kenneth Griffin announced last week that he had moved to Miami from Chicago and would take Citadel, his hedge fund, with him. He told his employees that Florida offered a better corporate environment. At the same time, Ms. Capera said the uh, Pritzker administration routinely boasted the state's welcoming political environment where abortion rights are codified and companies will never find themselves in a position of Walt Disney Company which now, which now occupies in Florida, squeezed between a conservative government constraining gay and transgender rights and liberal consumers demanding a corporate pushback. Companies don't want to have to deal with people boycotting their business or struggling to get people to move to them, especially younger workers, she said. 
Joanna Turner Bisgrove, 46, a family physician at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago, has worked her whole professional life in Oregon, Wisconsin, a small town south of Madison, when her hospital was purchased by a Catholic health care chain that began restricting abortions and transgender care. After the Wisconsin legislature took up the issue of transgender girls in sports, she said friends of her gender-fluid child became magnets for bullying so bad that it made the local news. Nearly a year ago, the Bisgroves finally moved across the red-blue border to Evanston, Illinois, where Dr. Bisgrove said her children would be accepted and her medical practice could thrive. In the end, she said, my morals would not square with what I could do. So, she did what everybody should logically do. If you don't like where you're living, move. If you think there's a better state, get to it. This is what people should be doing, thinking locally and acting locally, that Bisgrove moved, right? Um... This is, this is where uh, we should be thinking of these things. Now, I can disagree with what the leftist policies are, and I do, but the fact is people can move to states that better reflect that, and I'm fine with that. If you want to have Illinois be like this, hey, Illinois, you be Illinois. And all the lefties can move there. Same thing with California. All the lefties can move to California. You know what will happen? We won't have a situation where uh, we have tremendous political conflict every day of our lives at the state and local level. And then people will start ignoring Washington, D.C., and it will lose all of its allure and its power. The most powerful people are governors in the United States, and we should start thinking about it like that again. And if we did more of that, America would be a much more interesting place. And, of course, I think a much less conflicted place because we're not focusing all the the attention on the center in America. All right. Great peace. Are we going to have a civil war of this? I don't think so, but I think you are going to start seeing some tremendous amount of sorting taking place and people going to different... And, and particularly if the courts do go further than what they've already done, which I think is certainly possible moving forward to the next term. All right. See you next week on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.